0: hear the word of the Lord. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors. Happy fall break. If you're in town, uh, which you are because you're here, if you're not here, I hope you're having a great vacation. Uh, If you're visiting with us, you might be wondering what's going on. Uh, This, you've heard it a couple times, we are called All Together Sunday. So about once a quarter, we close down our kids' classes and we bring everybody here together. And we want our kids to be able to see what are we doing and experience the joy of worshiping all together. We want to give some of our kid servants a break on Sundays, and we just think it's healthy for us to get all together. So thanks for being here. We're excited for the noise. Any children in the room? Give me your loudest shout, children. No, no, no. That's not as loud. I said as loud as you can shout. Yeah, okay. Okay, that's a little bit better. Uh, Now, parents, you know who to pray for, right? The kids. Um, Especially, we have... uh, On a normal Sunday, there'll be any, they'll be right around 200 kids. So that's 12 and under that are part of the life of our church. That's a whole mess of kids. And you hit that, y'all remember that 12 year old mark? Some of you have been in therapy because you've repressed those memories, right? (laughs) Like middle school, everybody remember how awful middle school was? Uh, There's all kinds of things that start happening in your body, which I'll not, I'll spare the 10 year olds. Ask mom or dad about it, right? what's coming in a couple of years, but you have that going on and then you start feeling social pressure for the first time or put it another way, like for me, middle school was the first time that I felt that tension between who I thought I was and then who everybody out there told me I should be or expected me to be. You start feeling that tension of being in the popular crowd, right? Are the things I like cool or are they not cool? Will this get me at the good seat at the lunch table or the bad seat at the lunch table? And uh, I like mentioning this about once every two years in a sermon, just to remind you guys, you know, my roots and where I come from. Um, when I was in middle school, what my friends and I liked to do was we played a game called Magic the Gathering. Anybody know that? couple? All right. All right. All right. All right. My people are out there. If, you're, if you have no idea what Magic the Gathering is, it's a card game, which is kind of like a mixture of Harry Potter but it came out before Harry Potter. Uh, So it's like a mixture of Harry Potter with chess, you know, the game of Kings, the greatest game ever made, chess, combined with LARPing. You guys know what LARPing is? Live action role-playing? If you're like, what is that? It's when you go into the woods or you like go out to Lapping Park or something and you'll see like 20 people dressed as wizards and with armor on acting like they're, I don't know what exactly. Uh, Live action role-playing is what it is. And so that's kind of like what Magic the Gathering is. It's this game. And by the... Confused looks on all of your faces right now. I probably don't need to say this. It was not popular in school. Oh. Playing Magic the Gathering didn't get you into the, the in crowd. And the way I found this out was, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14, transportation, you got a bike, and that's about it, uh, or if mom and dad are available, I guess, which meant my friends and I played Magic cards during lunch. In middle school. So you go in and you have your fights over who's sitting where, and we're all like, well, we'll sit together and play magic cards. And after about two weeks of this crowd started forming around us, not because anyone was interested in magic cards, uh, but because we became like the object of public scorn, right? It was like the fun ridicule, throw some extra pudding at kids or whatever. And we learned really quickly that the, the way to middle school success and popularity will not be through playing magic cards at lunch at the school. So here were the options for us. We keep doing that and coming home with weird stains on our clothes and not being liked by anybody. Or we can pretend like we don't actually like this game. And so what my friends and I decided, there's about five of us at the time, we decided that we, in public we would act like we weren't friends with one another. Uh, When we came to school, we would pretend like we didn't really spend any time with one another or have any interests. And we would instead do the things that require, were required of us for popularity in middle school. Which, like, if kids, if your parents start telling you about, like, silly things you're wearing or whatever, just remind them that when they were in middle school about these pants called jenkos. you've heard me talk about, remember those? <laughs> jenkos are Stussy pants, and that's where it's like three humans could fit in one pant leg, and I don't know why they were, no one knows why they were popular. No, sp- Skateboard kids wore them, but no one really skateboarded where I was. We just all had them. Like every, so it just meant wearing dumb clothes, looking silly, talking silly. And then on the weekends, we would hide, literally hide in my basement or one of my buddy's basements to keep playing magic cards. Um, we were pretending. We were hiding to try to impress so that we could be accepted and belong. We were hiding what we liked, what we were into, what we were interested in, for the sake of impressing the people around us so that we could feel like we belong. And we can look at magic cards and be like, oh, what a silly thing to do in middle school. But have you noticed that that game doesn't really change? No matter how old you get, we hide things about ourselves. We put things on that maybe we don't understand or we're not really all that interested in for the sake of feeling like the popular crowd likes us and that we belong and we're accepted. The passage here in Galatians is one such story. It's all about hiding and pretending so that we can be popular, so that we can be liked. Uh, Here's the big earth-shattering lesson for the Christians here today. This is trying to show us that God set us free and says, you belong to me. So he sets us free from the rat race, from the popularity contest, and says, you belong to me. And I'm guessing, though, if you've been to church more than once in your life, this is not new information, Right? I didn't go to church growing up, and I could have said something like this in middle school, probably, that this is what Christianity would say. See, the, the passage isn't just going to tell us this. It's going to also show us what does it look like to live like this so that it can be true for us. It's one thing to know something is true, and it's another thing to live like it's true. And if you don't know if that's you or not, just say, like, do you know that this is true, that God has set you free and you belong to me? And if you say yes, then ask yourself, do I live like I'm free? Or do I live like I'm hiding? Do I still feel so afraid of what other people think about me? So I've never preached with all these kids in the room before, so I'm, I'm pretty terrified right now. And I figured one of the ways around it was if I made rhyming statements that might make it because kids like rhyming. I don't know. Uh, so I got some rhymes for you to unpack in this passage. How do we believe this is true? Ready for rhyme number one? Let the kids say, yeah. 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 All right. So number one, you got to fight to stay in the light. Mmm. got to fight to stay in the light. What do I mean? Uh, I'm not talking about fist fighting, okay? We're not pro-violence here. I'm talking about arguing, disagreeing. I don't know. There's a couple of you maniacs that like arguing, but most people don't like arguing. We don't like conflict. Uh, we don't like worrying that we're going to be not liked or upset, whatever. Um, at its core, arguing is simply giving evidence for a different idea. What do you think? What's your evidence for? Arguing is not bad. Arguing is not wrong. It's not a sin to argue. Uh, Now, this can get out of control. You can lose your temper and say nasty stuff when you're angry or if you get upset and argue. But arguing in and of itself is not bad. And and in fact, what we see here is that there are times where we really have to argue. So it is with Peter and Paul. Uh, An argument breaks out in verse 11. We see, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. A lot we could talk about here. Peter's like the biggest deal in the church after the resurrection of Jesus, right? He's the man. You could think of Peter as the principal, Paul as the vice principal, right? Like they're two huge pillars within the church. And yet Peter shows up and he does something very wrong to this group of believers where Paul is. And it's important to note that there's something public that happens. And so the confrontation that comes is public. It's not like something happened in closed doors, and then Paul airs out this grievance in front of everybody. Peter did something wrong in front of everybody, so Paul corrects him in front of everybody. So one of the big lessons here is it's okay to argue because we all do stuff that's wrong. We all make mistakes, and if you think you're somebody who never makes a mistake, um, I would encourage you to talk to somebody close to you, right? Talk to mom or dad, talk to a friend. We all No one has a monopoly on the truth other than God himself. So we all tend to go a little bit sideways and we need one another to bring us back into the light of the gospel. So what's happening here with Peter is he's feeling the pull of the popular crowd. He wants a seat at the good lunch table. Before these guys came down, these visitors from out of town... Everyone was eating together, and it was a big, happy church potluck. Everybody's just hanging out and eating together. But then the fancy religious people come in, and Peter gets really nervous that he's doing something they won't approve of. So he starts pretending like he wasn't eating lunch with these people before they came. He switches lunch tables to try to look good. We, we get the reasoning behind this. There it is. He, well, well, here we go. He was afraid of criticism from these people, Right? Maybe there were some good holy like Christian motives in here. You can go read a bunch of Christian books that will say why Peter might have done this. But the text, all the text tells us is he's afraid of being criticized by the in crowd, the religious popular people. He's motivated by fear, not by freedom. He didn't want to create conflict. He was doing something that he knew he shouldn't have done. We know this because of words out of Peter's mouth or that he and Paul agreed on what the gospel said about who could sit with each other at the lunch table. You ever do something that you know you shouldn't do? Yeah, right? You do things and right after, going up into it, you're like, I know this is a bad idea. While it's going on, you're like, this is probably a bad idea. Afterwards, you're like, that was for sure a bad idea, right? Peter's relapsing here into an old way of life. And he was doing so because he was afraid of people. See, God, God says there's only one requirement for who gets to sit at lunch with him or not. And these people had come into town and said, well, actually, there's a few hundred. There's all these Old Testament laws and rules, the law of Moses. And if you want to get a seat at the good table, here's all the things you have to do. But... But God says, there's one requirement. Do you believe Jesus loves you? And like, go enjoy the rest of your life wrestling with whether or not you can believe that. Here's the question, God, you you wanna sit at the popular table? Do you believe that I love you? It's not what color you are. It's not how much money you make. It's not how smart you are. It's not your political background. It's not any of that. Do you believe that Jesus loves you already? And by switching tables out of fear, Peter was denying this. He was saying, actually, God, I think it is more than that. And maybe he wasn't denying that with his mouth, but he was denying that by the way he lived. So he left the light of the gospel and went back into the darkness. He let the voice of the popular crowd, not the voice of God, win. This is why this is such a big deal for Paul. It's not just a matter of which lunch table you're sitting at. It's the gospel itself. So listen, when someone tries to tell us or we see a friend living, like we need something more than Jesus to make us accepted, we have to fight to stay in the light. We have to fight against that lie because, and and here's what this looks like, whatever age you are, um, there's a difference and we need to be careful about understanding what does it take to live in the kingdom versus what does it take to get into the kingdom, right? What is God's requirements for us to come into relationship with him versus how do we live in relationship with him? And on that question of how do we get saved? How do we become a Christian? You gotta be aware of anyone who will say, I don't know how they could call themselves a Christian and blank. And whatever that fill in the blank might be, unless they say, I don't know how someone could call themselves a Christian and say, Jesus isn't God then we would say, well, you can't actually, right? You can't call yourself a Christian. You can't be saved and say, Jesus isn't God. But if we fill anything else in that blank, we've become like these people who have caused Peter to fall into hypocrisy. See, to actually to be a Christian, to be accepted by God and loved by God, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And Paul is saying, you've abandoned the gospel. That is not the gospel at all. We don't fight about everything. We shouldn't argue about everything. Like, God help us in this country with the constant turnover of elections. If we're supposed to fight about everything, like, should not the church look a little bit different? Let the adults say amen, right? The kids have no idea what I'm saying. Um, But we're not one side of the aisle or the other. We are The people of God, we're a kingdom set apart. Our allegiance isn't to any country. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God, which means we support and play our part and are faithful. But my my point in in saying that is, is like we are a people who should not be arguing about everything. We, We shouldn't be arguing about much of anything as the people of God. But there's a couple of big things that we will argue about. And we'll argue about what does it take to get a seat at the table with God. And what the scriptures say, what our Lord says is that if we believe he loves us, we're there already. We have a seat secured at his table by what he's done for us. He's all we need to be accepted and loved. And when we forget that, and when we see a friend forgetting that, we go and we remind them that they are loved, they are safe, they are accepted already. We fight to stay in the light. Second one, I like this one. I'm just going to tell you guys, I made this up all on my own right here, okay? Jesus died so we don't have to hide. Jesus died, so we don't have to hide. You ever notice that the first thing that happens after people sin is they go into hiding? You notice that in the garden? They hide from an infinite, omnipotent, eternal, all-wise, almighty, all-everything God, and they go into the bushes to try to hide. Fear makes you do irrational things, silly things, but fundamentally one of the things it makes us do is it makes us go into hiding. We hide who we are here. Peter is motivated by fear here. So he hides, he goes back to an old way of life. He didn't just listen to the popular vote, the popular people, he also forgot that Jesus died so we don't have to hide. And so Paul puts it right to him. It's an issue of the gospel. We know a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And you'll see as we keep going through Galatians, he's talking about the law of Moses here. All of these hundreds and hundreds of rules. The point of all of those rules is to show you you can't keep the rules, right? Maybe you know the story of Jesus with the the expert in the law and the gospels. This guy comes up to him and says, Jesus, what do I have to do to get into heaven? And Jesus says, you know the Bible, what do you think you have to do? And he says, well, love the Lord your God and love other people. And Jesus says, yeah, go do that. Try it. If you do that, you will get into heaven. What is Jesus trying to say? Good luck, pal. Right? It's like, it's like trying to tell someone you got to get on every ride at Disney in an hour. And it's like, yeah, go try. There's no way you can do that. The, the law is not meant to be a vehicle of salvation. It's meant to be an instrument of revelation, right? To open our eyes that we do not have what it takes to make ourselves right with God. And so the important people have come to Antioch and said... To be loved by God, you have to follow all of these rules. These same people infect our church and our culture today. If you, if you really want God to love you, here's the 11 things you have to do. And when you start hearing these things, this is just a nugget for the adults. Pay attention to what's going on with power there. There's almost always some appeal to power. If you do these things, yeah, God will love you. And then think about what we'll become, this power-hungry mindset comes out. People love telling us what we have to do to be loved and accepted by God. And so it was with all of these people. But Jesus says, all you have to do to get a seat at my table is believe I love you. Believe I died for you because you can't follow the rules. Believe I died for you because I want to have lunch with you more than I want you to do stuff for me. You guys remember the story in the Gospel of John after, remember the the disciples betray Jesus? They sell them out. They act like they don't know them. They go into hiding and the resurrected Jesus calls this special meeting. They're all out on the boat, fishing in the middle of the night. And Jesus is like, he's gonna get them, right? If you're like me, like Jesus is gonna get back at these guys. He's gonna let them know how bad they screwed up. He's gonna rub their face in it. He's gonna give them all this stuff that they have to do to make up for it. You guys remember what Jesus is doing on the shore as he's calling out to his disciples after his resurrection? Anybody remember? I think I heard it. He's making breakfast. What's his restoration plan for Peter? What's the question he asks Peter after Peter's bailed on him? After they fin- Do you love me? Peter, we're going to do business, but first I made you breakfast, right? <laughs> I made you bacon and eggs, good coffee. Let's go on a walk. Peter, do you love me? Like, Do you see a God who's far more interested in you than anything you could do for him, as if God is so helpless that he needs you to do something for him. Well, sure, I can speak and create a whole universe and hold it together by the power of my word, but if we're talking about like building church buildings or improving health care, like I really am going to need you on this, right? Like God is not so um, impotent that he could make a universe, but he can't manage a single planet in that universe, God's invitations to us are far more around he wants to go have lunch with you than it is, please go do all this for me. His question for us is much more, hey, could I interest you in an afternoon walk than it is, here's this long to-do list of duties that I need you to fulfill for me. Life is very much a popularity contest. And I'd be careful about anyone who tells you it isn't. It is about who likes you and who doesn't like you but it's not so much what people like you, it's which person likes you. Who is the person that speaks over you and approves you? And the gospel says the only voice in the universe that really matters says you are mine, I love you, you are safe already. Freedom comes when we believe we are accepted already. There's nothing we have to change to get a seat at the table Because of Jesus, we don't have to be like Peter, afraid of what people think of us. It's easy enough to say that, but we start believing it when we live like it, which means coming out of hiding. It's one thing to know you don't have to hide anymore. It's another thing to stop hiding. And this might mean following Paul's example, having a hard conversation, sticking to what's right, even when it's not popular, especially when it involves the good news that Jesus is the only way we're made right with God. And listen, this is not a natural belief. It's hard for us to put on grace and believe that we're this free. It's hard to believe and it's, it's even harder to live. Christianity is gloriously simplistic, you guys. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. But don't make the mistake of thinking that means that it's easy. And there's a, there's a quote from one of my favorite books. It got turned into a movie uh, that speaks about the difficulty of living the life of grace. It's a river runs through it. It's a fantastic movie. If you've never read the short story, check it out. Here's a quote from it about, and this guy's father that he's talking about here's a Presbyterian minister and Sojourn's like 82% Presbyterian. We just don't baptize babies. We could be, you know, if we would like dunk them all the way, If we could dunk babies. Maybe I'd get on board with it, but that that was a baptism joke. Just a baptism joke. (laughs) You're a visitor, we don't really actually <laughs> dunk babies, but whatever. Hey buddy, my son's waving at me. So this is what he said: My father was very sure about certain matters pertaining to the universe. To him, all good things, trout, as well as eternal salvation, come by grace. Grace comes by art, and art does not come easy. The, I- the idea here being is there, there's beautiful truths, but they're not natural to us. Um, it's not comfortable for us to believe we're this free and we're this accepted. And like a fine piece of art, no one wakes up one morning a good artist. Just like no one wakes up one morning all of a sudden magically free. There, there's a journey that we go on that requires discipline, our own effort, our participation in the life of God. So here's the question to wrestle with knowing that, that it won't be easy, that it's not gonna come quick. But the reality is, as God says you are free. You are loved, you are safe right now, today, if you believe he loves you. If that were true, if you believed that, what would you do differently? If you believed you didn't have to hide anymore, what would you do differently? Which lunch table would you sit at? What conversation that you've been putting off would you have? How would you talk to your brother or your sister differently? How would you talk to mom or dad differently Your your spouse? Jesus came to free us from the popularity contest by saying, you've already won the only popularity contest that mattered. He died, so you don't have to hide. How would you live if you knew you were at the best lunch table already? If there's something you could think of that you would change tomorrow to come out of hiding... um, I would encourage you to hear that as the voice of the Lord speaking to you right now. And what do you do when God speaks to you? What do you tell your kids? At our house, we have two commands. Listen and obey. If, if the voice of the Lord speaks to you, listen and obey. So here, here's how we'll end with that, with that in mind. Some simple tips for surviving, you know, your teenage years to your golden years. And the first one I could not believe this any more strongly than I do. Listen to Jesus. And if you're an adult and you're like, really, this is what I got up for this morning? Listen to Jesus. Um, boy, I'd be careful with yourself. If, you know, if you, if you think at some point we move beyond the gospel or this basic invitation to be like a child and come to Jesus and listen to him, um, we never move beyond that. Uh, listen, there's nothing you can do to get kicked out of God's lunch table. I believe that to the soles of my feet. Just like when you were a child or if you're a kid and you disobey mom and dad, they don't look at you and be like, listen, I told you to put the crayons away. And because you didn't, you're actually out of the house now. You don't get to live here anymore. Right? Like there's stories like that happen and they're heartbreaking, but they are in the vast minority of instances. We know that one moment of disobedience doesn't, cost us our family name. Yet so many of us feel like that's the way it is with God. And it's not. Um, There's nothing you can do to get kicked out of the family of God or to get asked to leave the lunch table with God. But listen, there are things you can do that can make your life very hard and painful. It doesn't mean you won't be a Christian anymore, but it will mean that your life is a lot more difficult than it needs to be. A lot of you know that. Like, Doing something foolish won't make you unloved by God, but it may make your life very difficult. God doesn't stop loving Peter here, you see, but Peter endures a lot of embarrassment and hard conversations after this. Every one of us needs help knowing how to live free. And what if we started looking at listening to Jesus, not so much as keeping him happy with us, as us learning how to live free? There. There are things that you will do that will seem just fine to you, but they really hurt you in the end. So listen to Jesus. Read your Bible, right? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. That's not complicated Christianity. Um, You gotta read your Bible. But what if you read it to know Jesus and to be led by him, rather than checking this list of like, ah, yes, this is what I have to do is my good Christian duty. I remember a couple years ago, anybody wanna hear the voice of God? Would you love to hear God speak to you? Yeah, I've been longing for that my whole life. And a couple of years ago, Bobby, Pastor Bobby, one of our pastors here was like, hey, if you wanna hear the voice of God speak to you, read the Bible out loud. And I was just like, boom. I never looked at the Bible like that. I always looked at it more as this duty I have to fulfill. So read your Bible, pray. God will speak to you as you pray, as you close your mouth and allow him to speak to you. Uh, there's one other big way that, Jesus will come and talk to us. It's through your friends, through the people in your life. Like the amount of heartache that could have been spared in the life of this church in the last four years if Christians would listen to their Christian friends. If you have a good friend that comes and speaks something difficult to you, like, boy, you should honor that with at least taking a few moments to consider what if this is true about me, about what I'm doing. So, how do we listen to Jesus? Well, listen to the Bible, listen to his voice in prayer, listen. To your friends, Jesus knows the best way to live. Your following him is about you being human, not about you proving something or impressing somebody. What if you didn't have to hide anymore? How do you learn not to hide? Listen to Jesus. Do what he tells you. Follow him. Listen to Jesus. My last rhyme now, number two. Teenage years to golden years. This is cute now. Might want to write it down. When life gets you blue, remember the gospel's true. Isn't that nice? When life gets you blue, remember, and here's what I mean. When I felt all that pressure to be at the popular table, (coughs) life was filled with rules, right? Here are the clothes you have to wear. Here's the jokes you're allowed to say. Here's the music you have to listen to. And like, listen, everybody does this. Maybe you were in like like the cool group that was cool because you didn't do the cool things. You know, or maybe you're familiar with the hipster movement where that whole thing is built on irony. We don't actually like anything. We, don't, we like everything so little that we don't like everything. It's confusing. No one understands what's going on there, right? Like every group has their thing. This is what you have to do to be accepted and approved here. And when you live that way, under all that pressure, life is unbelievably exhausting and sad. Amen, right? You guys felt that pressure? Always wondering, am I in the group? Have I done enough? Have I, what if, if, it's exhausting and it's sad. And, you know, I'm 35 now, so it's been like 22 years or whatever since middle school. And there is still a lot of time where I wonder if I'm at the popular table or not. Um, For the adults out there, I would encourage you guys to beware of the person that says they don't care what people think about them. That's not a human thing. Every human cares what other people think about them. And the, maybe you recognize the person that walks into a room acting all tough. It's always like, kind of like the loud, gruff person that's like, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm good. And it's like, you're either a liar or you're very, very scared or you have no idea who you are, right? Like everybody wants to be liked. It's a human desire. We're made for community. And there's lots of times where I'm still wondering, you know, am I at, the right table. I still, I'm terrified of what you guys think about me. I'm terrified of how does this sermon go with the kids in the room? Is every kid bored? Does every parent hate this? You know, like all that stuff is still going on. But I've, I've learned to live life like a call and response song where God calls and I respond. And like the having children brought amazing simplicity and clarity to this. It, in a lot of ways, it's boiled down all of these questions and insecurities because we've had to start wrestling with what do we want our kids to know? What's important for my three-year-old to know? And if you're like deciding I'm going to preach penal substitutionary atonement to my two-year-old, like you'll find that to be a difficult conversation. Where It's like I'm going to preach the eternal sovereignty of God, the eternal progression of the Son, whatever. Like these huge doctrinal things that we think are the most important deal. It gets very confusing and hard. So there's a song that we sing to our kids. You probably sing with it. I sing it to your children, too. And I started singing it to my kids. And now I sing it to myself. Because I need this to be true. So I'm going to sing it for you. If you know the words, please sing along so it will be less embarrassing for me. (laughs) Jesus loves me, this I know The Bible tells me so. What if it's that simple? What if that's true? Life is confusing and difficult. Whether you're in middle school, you're middle aged, you're coming to the end of your life, it's confusing, it's messy, it's difficult. And as it gets that way, we need to ground ourselves in this beautiful, simple reality. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. What if it's that simple? What if that's true? It means we don't have to hide anymore. If you don't have to hide, what would you do differently? I hope the Lord's revealed something to you about that. We come every Sunday to anchor ourselves in this promise that he just loves us and we don't have to hide anymore. And we remember that by remembering the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. He gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. Many of us come today scared, confused, hurting, The body of christ broken for us and the blood of christ shed for us reminds us we are safe with god and we don't have to hide anymore Um, i would encourage you to take a moment at your seat before we participate and just ask yourself that question ask the lord to speak to you if i didn't have to hide what would i do differently Uh, our tradition at sojourn is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread and dip it in wine or juice wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it and there'll be gluten-free elements to my left your right i'll pray for us and then Christians, you can come celebrate as you're ready. Let's pray.